Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast. For the next 90 days, I'm taking the show on the road to Annapolis for the 2020 legislative session. The show will be broadcasting live each week for the next 80-some days from the iconic Harry Brown's restaurant on State Circle. Please subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, CastBox, or virtually any podcast application. And be sure to check out a Minor Detail podcast at a aminordetailpodcast.com. If you like what you hear in this episode, or maybe you hate it, I want to know. Email me your feedback at ryan at aminordetail.com. On week two of the legislative session, I sat down with two members from the Senate Finance Committee, Vice Chairman Brian Feldman, a Democrat from Montgomery County, and his Republican colleague, Steve Hershey, who represents the Upper Shore. Here's what we discussed. Here it is, Harry Brown's, the, the, the heart of the Annapolis political machine. You guys don't belong to that. There's a card-carrying membership, I hear. This is the second week of Annapolis session. We kicked it off last week. Lynn Foxwell was sitting right there. And the last time we had... Now, listen to this. We have Senator Feldman, if you're watching. We have Senator Brian Feldman. Let me make sure. Clay Mitchell said, hello, Senator Hershey. Hey, Clay. Hershey came to our... He just popped in. He was at the gym on the Eastern Shore. This is December 23rd. We were over at Cult Classic um, in his district, and all of a sudden in walks Hershey. Foxwell and I are sitting there, and we're like, holy cow, there's Senator Hershey. What's he up to? I get no invite. I mean, I have to come down to Annapolis and hang out with... Pull the microphone. Come down to Annapolis and hang out with Feldman to get an invite to be on your show. So I figured, since I'm in the car... You gotta speak into it. Can I? Why can't we each have our own microphone? Well, because I'm working on that. I didn't get another mixer. I mean, you know, it's gonna These are like, 400. It's gonna look like we're singing a duet or something. I know. He and I get in and start That's talking sweet. to each other. Yeah. By the way, it doesn't surprise <laughs> Here, me. Just... It doesn't surprise me. He's come from the gym. I mean, this guy. When I first met him, he wasn't as buff as he is today. Okay. So the chances of it running into him when he's either going to or, or coming back to, uh, from the gym is like very, very high. So I, mean, I got to tell I, you, I'm not surprised. Uh, having two mem- two prominent members from the Senate Finance Committee. First of all, you guys are in terrific physical shape. And Hershey last year was eating nothing but peanut butter the entire session. And I'd, you walk into his office and you'd see this big jar of, of uh, Skippy or Jif. And now he's going to eat this burger, which I'm is... going to eat the, the protein part of that burger. The pro- no bun? He's on the... Are you doing keto? Just getting rid of carbs. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, the lifestyle down here during the three months, I don't have to tell you, is not conducive to, like, walk. Most of us, you got to roll us out of here in (laughs) April. When I first came down here, just by, I always, I tell the story, I'm not going to name the legislator, but we had an older gentleman, right? And he was a delegate, older gentleman, very uh, thick, short guy, like, you know, kind of like this, but he didn't start that way. Yeah. It was probably my first week down here, and, and, and guy said to me, look, he says, you see that guy, delegate? so-and-so he goes eventually every man who comes down here eventually morphs into that yeah. guy so you got to be careful uh you got to be careful you got to take care of yourself during three months 90 Sit, days you're sitting on your butt you know you guys are bills. in committees you're you're on the floor and i don't i haven't seen to date anybody munching on anything on the floor i've seen people fall asleep on the floor before I, I, not you two. I'll tell you what, you don't, you don't eat on the floor in the Senate. No. Um, in fact, you don't chew gum. Um, and if, uh, in the past, at least, if Senate President Miller saw you with gum in yeah. your mouth, he'd point you down. Like the school marm. Exactly right. And I, I, I fell into that one time, and he said, 
get it out. Well, that's the thing. When, when, of course, Senate President Miller is now Senate President Emeritus, and that's the correct title. You all voted on that on the opening day of session. Memorable day. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that experience to see the handing off of the of the baton to 36-year-old um, Bill, Fer- uh, Bill Ferguson from Baltimore City. I think for me, watching that from the... Uh, the gout than the cheap seats over on the press side. I, I mean, when when all of this was coming about, there was big changes last year in Maryland politics uh, with both the Senate and the House, and it's just incredible. But for you, as two longtime state senators who have developed great reputations in Annapolis, and watching your colleague, your friend, your leader hand that off. What was that like? Um, Senator Feldman, who, by the way, represents District 15, and every time I see Senator Feldman, he likes to give me a little bit of grief because I moved out of his yeah, district. Yeah. When my, I first met you, you were, you were, my, you were my guy. You, you, know, you lived in my District 15, and then you left me. One of these days, my wife and I want to move to the shore, so we could end up in, we could end up in District 36. So. Well, you know, you're talking about if you wanted me to comment a little. First of all, you know, you mentioned last year. Before we talk about this year, what I was going to say to you is that we had 17 new senators just came in last year out of 47. And, in fact, we still have new senators coming over. Uh, we're going to have, you know, uh, we have a couple seats. that We just swore in uh, Senator Sidnor this week, and we've got to yeah. fill the uh, Bobby Zirkin seat. So it's still evolving, but, you know, after 17 new senators who – just learned some of the rules of the game. Yes, yeah, so this is a titanic, seismic shift. And the fact that it's happening at exactly the same time as the shift in the House, um, I can't understate, you know, what a humongous historical moment right now, this first week, where, you know, between Adrian Jones and Bill Ferguson, you know, Speaker Bush was the longest-serving uh, speaker in Maryland history, um, Senate President Miller, the longest-serving in the history of the United States, not just in Maryland history as a Senate president, so for all that to be happening, um, it's, it's really, I have to say, we've been here a week, and I'm, it still seems weird and um, kind of, you know, I, I just say it's still, we're still, the psychology of this is very, uh, you know, kind of tricky. Senator Hershey, you came in the Senate, was it 2014 or 13? Brian and I came in uh, about a week apart from each other. We were appointed in... 13, right. and we, our first session that we served was in 14. Your central committee appointment was interesting. That was I, very interesting. It, it, that was, yeah. I remember watching that in real time and thinking, what is going to happen? And then, of course, when Senator, former Senator Garrett Giola decided that he couldn't outspend John Delaney in a congressional district that was carved specifically for him, uh, he ended up resigning from the Senate. Now he is, he is uh, running... Uh, alongside of his wonderful wife, Hannah Garagio, runs a lobby shop. And so in in Montgomery County, you were appointed, and, and you represent four counties, uh, Steve. You have, um, is it it's Cecil, Kent? Uh, um, Queen Anne's and Qu- Caroline. Queen Anne's and Caroline. Well, we came, so we came over only a week apart. I beat him by, I have a week of seniority on him. Wow. And, and I took the seat of the Senate Majority Leader, and Steve took the seat of the Senate Minority Leader, E.J. Pipkin at the time. So we came over there. We sat in the back. I sat with the Republicans. They had me on the, uh, that side of the aisle, and I sat right next to Steve in the last row. But what I, just, uh, I, I think I've told Steve this. 
But during that process where they were pointing him, I mean, we were kind of curious, what's Martin O'Malley going to do? He gets to pick which of the two Republicans is going to go to the Senate. Right. And I would have loved to have been part of that, uh, you know, on, on the wall listening to that. I got a phone call. I, maybe I shouldn't disclose it, but I did get a phone call from Martin O'Malley. <laughs> And he wanted to know, you know, my thoughts on that, uh, you know, the, between the two of those guys, these guys, and I knew them both well. I won't mention, uh, you know, Steve's opponent at the time, but it, you're right. It was all these counties. What criteria to use? Is it yeah. like it wasn't because there was like two counties went with Steve and two with the other guy? Do you just total it up, or is it policy? Who's going to be more, you know? If uh, the other likely? guy got appointed, he'd be demanding to bring in a long rifle into the Senate <laughs> chamber. So. Uh, uh, but I do remember getting that phone call about, about a Matt from O'Malley. Uh, my, my thoughts on the, on you two guys, but it was it was fascinating. You really. told obviously you said that Senator Hershey, now Senator Hershey, would be the better. Uh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, you know, now I can say that safely. That <laughs> See, this he's is always my guy. For for anybody who's watching and, and will later listen on the recording of this podcast, where your your Senator Feldman is a Democrat and Senator Hershey is a Republican, but. You guys bring a a nice flavor to bipartisanship, and really on the Senate Finance Committee, you talk about big issues. There's not a lot of partisanship involved, and you guys, and and I've noticed just covering the Senate that it's very collegial. There's not a, it's not that same intensity that you see that rocks Washington D.C. The partisanship, and everybody has to pick their respective side. Now, look, you're going to take votes with your caucus. I get that, but. You guys work extraordinarily well, well together. To your point, we have put in bills together, and in fact, this yeah. session we're gonna. There's gonna be some Feldman Hershey legislation on some stuff, and yeah. uh, and our committee, I think, has always been. I'll give Senate President Miller a lot of credit. You know, has been very careful to select this particular committee, which, by the way, did much of the heavy lifting in the Senate in the General Assembly last year on most of the big issues that actually got to the governor and health care and energy. It all came out of the Finance Committee very collaborative but but the senate president has always been very selective so when you look at all the turmoil we were just talking about the only committee in the senate that is 100 percent intact from the 2019 session is the senate finance committee there was not one right. change in the membership and i think it reflects the fact that we work pretty pretty well together for anybody listening and senator hershey you can take this uh this question tell me what specifically the Senate Finance Committee does, what's the nature of the committee, and what kind of bills come to your committee first before they actually hit the floor? I'd say the easiest way to describe it is the business-related bills. So we deal a lot with um, business regulations, we deal with insurances, we deal with banking, we deal with public utilities, we deal with health care policy. Um, so a lot of those types of things, as Brian said, you know, they're not the most controversial types of things. They're certainly not the issues that you see in judicial proceedings, for instance. You know, but we do. We've got some, you know, we've had, you know, minimum wage bills that have come up. We've got, you know, energy policy bills that come up that certainly spur a debate. But the debate is, is basically, you know, how you pay for something or who has to pay for something or who bears the cost of something. Um, so those are the things that, you know, you can, you can battle over those. But you're not really offending anybody personally by getting into those types of, of battles or, you know, or, you know, giving, you know, uh, checking someone's morals, you know, or their values when it's, it's just, you know, these are pretty, you know, cut and dry type of things where some of the other committees, it's, you know, either you're a believer or you're not a believer on a particular issue. And, and that's what's kind of made it, you know, interesting that we're not really in that type of issue, but we're trying you know, to pass policies that, you know, fit the be Marylanders the best way. And sometimes it's, 
you know, we can we can agree on the outcome and, you know, just how we get there is, you know, really the question sometimes. Senator Feldman, when uh, what's the, the layout of the Finance Committee? I know it's Dolores Kelly who chairs it. Are, you're the vice chair, right? Right. This is my second session as vice chair. How's that going? It's going well. I mean, I, I said earlier, uh, you know, we did, um, whether it was health care policy or clean energy last year or minimum wage or all those big bills came out of our committee. The other thing, um, so there's 11 of us on the committee. I'm vice chair. Um, the other unique feature of our committee is if you look at the, the two top Republicans in the Senate, the, major, the minority leader and the minority whip, Steve's the minority whip, J.B. Jennings, the minority leader, they're both on the committee. So, you know, and they have pipeline up to the governor. So there's eight Democrats, three Republicans, but those, you know, two of those three are the two top dogs um, in the Senate. So that in and of itself, I think, is, um, you know, translates onto the floor, too, because they were part of the process, you know, to get bills out of our committee. So when you get to the floor, you know, the two Republican leaders are not as likely to maybe attack the product of the right. committee that came from their committee. And so that's a, a kind of well, a unique dynamic. Politically, that's helpful. To, that we, that we spent a good amount of time together on Sine Die, didn't we? We did. On so the, the last closing right. hours. At 11 o'clock at night last uh, on Sine Die, uh, one of my bills, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, Maryland Clean Energy Jobs um, uh, Steve's not a big fan of that. And so he was grilling me at 11 o'clock at night on Sonny Die. Um, so, yeah, that, I, I got nothing from the fact that he was on my committee on that issue. So I wanted to mention that. You both had some major legislative issues that you tackled and had accomplishments. Of course, Senator Hershey last year, the Chestertown Hospital, was a huge issue for you and to... That is a community-based hospital that desperately needs to remain open. It needs to remain active. Right. And you also did some excellent work, I believe, on oyster legislation with the incoming Senator Sarah Alfrith. And, yeah. and in fact, the other day, I believe on Facebook, you gently pushed back against comptroller <laughs> Peter Francia. You knew I would bring that up. Yeah, I did. So you said he's halfway right. Well, listen, I, and, and again, I, was, I tried to be... You know, diplomatic. You were, you were about. gentle and you yeah. were fair. Well, and th- because the point is, listen, you know, the comptroller went down to Chris Field and he met with a <clears throat> oyster company down there. And right now, to be honest, the uh, we're having a great harvest. The oystermen are, have done a great job, even though DNR has scaled back the effort, cut down on some of the days they can go out with the the. Um, oyster population is actually up, and and the the market size oysters are there. There was a shortage of oysters down in the south. The state of Maryland was able to, you know, our commercial borderman was able to fill that gap. Uh, some of the highest prices that they've seen at the dock. Well, all of this is occurring, and the comptroller hears that as he's going as he's talking to the group in Crisfield. But then he comes back and he decides to praise aquaculture. Well, now aquaculture is the business of just raising oysters in cages and, and out in the field. But aquaculture oysters are not out necessarily for harvest. They are, but very small amount. So I wanted to make sure that he recognized that, hey, you know, why, you know, we've got the, the amount of oysters that we do and, and um, the, the things that he was praising was because of the commercial waterman industry that's out there as well. And a lot of the work that they do in order to uh, plants, you know, put shell down, put seed down, and other things that they do to replenish uh, re, the population of oysters as well, too. So I was just kind of getting on him a little bit about that, but not, nothing too much. No, you were fair, and yeah. I, I think that you, I, of course, I read your posts, both of your posts, and it was an edu- it was educational to me. Coming from Western Maryland, I, I don't know 
much about the oyster harvesting process. It's interesting how that happens, and of course, that's a big industry. And I, do you have a figure, Senator Hershey? How much money does Maryland actually pull out of harvesting oyster, oysters, and then, of <clears throat> course, then going to the restaurants and? Yeah, no, I I don't know specifically that, but what it is, I mean, let's look at it. It's certainly an industry that's been there for a while. It's part of the heritage of the Eastern Shore, which is an important thing. But the reason that oysters are so controversial is because they also have an ecological value. Mm -hmm. They're filters. That's right. So so the the environmental side looks at the oysters and say, hey, the more oysters that are in the bay, the more that are sitting there filtering, the potentially cleaner that the bay can get. Well. A lot of the oysters have been placed there by the commercial watermen. We've gone through seed on shell programs, we've gone on spat programs, and things of that nature, where they're putting them back in there with the intention to harvest again. We've also dedicated um, sanctuaries out there. We've got tributaries that we're doing mass restoration projects. So there's an awful lot going on, and everybody, you know, wants to take credit when things are going well. And when things are not going well, the blame only goes one way, and that's back down to the commercial watermen. Well, look, and if you want to get some great oysters, you can go anywhere on the sh- find a great place on the shore. But I go to St. Michael's. I go to uh, to Johnny Maltz's place, uh, Carpentry. Yeah. They I, have. Some- I've been there. I've heard you both been there. I've been to Johnny Maltz. Yeah, that's it's a good spot. It really is. So I wanted to mention too the Clean Energy Jobs Act. You had a, a legislative accomplishment, and in fact, I I, I interviewed Mike, um, of course, from the uh, the Chesapeake Foundation, um, Mike Tidwell, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we talked a, lot of, a little bit about the Clean Energy Jobs Act. Tell me about what happened last year and how that process unfolded and what that means for Maryland and how many, I know that by what... Steve will disagree with it because he's heard this speech on the floor. Uh Uh-oh, okay. Well, we did, I would say the big issues out of, for me personally, some uh, were the clean energy bills and the health care. I do want to say a few things about health care policy. Actually, Steve and I serve on a national task force uh, on energy policy, the NCSL task force on energy policy. So, Look, um, we started last year with a government shutdown, um, and you know, I actually had some bills out of the committee dealing with government shutdown and unemployment for you know one of the, my bills. But first bill the governor signed last year. But the, but the reality is, what we learned from that experience yet again was we are overly dependent on federal dollars and federal workforce. We've got to diversify our private sector economic portfolio. So yes, clean renewable energy is important for the environment. But my main argument was economic development. And so we think, and I think, so this bill takes us to 50% renewable by 2030, and we think there'll be 20,000 Maryland, new Maryland solar jobs created by the bill, 5,500 offshore wind jobs. We're going to have another debate this year. The governor's going to have his own proposal about what role nuclear power and hydropower should have in the future of our state. So yes, there was environmental parts of this. Uh, it was called the Clean Energy Jobs Act for a reason. It was about economics. And we've got to diversify. That's why, you know, we made a play for Amazon in Montgomery County. That's why we made a big play successfully to keep Marriott Global headquarters in Bethesda. You can't just rely on federal workforce. And I think the shutdown last uh, year is how we started for 35 days, highlighted how vulnerable the region is. So that was really, for me, uh, the impetus for getting behind uh, that particular piece of legislation. Your distinguished colleague seated to your right was... uh was he was subtle. gagging. He was about to gag. <laughs> Senator Hershey was subtly shaking his head, assuming in opposition to your point. I love cross debate, and this is so. This is going to be great. Senator Hershey, do you 
what do you think about the clean energy job? You, are, are we good or no? Personally, I thought that they, the, the advocates put together a bill that had everything that they could possibly think of that had to do with energy policy, renewable energy policy, into one omnibus bill. And at the end of the day, with few exceptions, it got passed. Okay, so one, it was, it was far overreaching. Two, we went, we went too far in, in what our, um, our goals are. But in, where Brian and I disagree is on the creation of jobs. I'm certainly for creating jobs in Maryland. And there's a certain part of the Clean Energy Jobs Act, namely the solar carve-out, that any, any, uh, generation, any solar generation that we use towards the RPS has to occur in Maryland. All the other renewable energy generation that occurs that Maryland can use for the RPS can occur outside the state of Maryland. So when we talk about the subsidies that Maryland ratepayers pay in order to uh, meet the goals of this, and we're talking 80 to 100, 120 million dollars a year in subsidies, it's how much of that stays in Maryland and not goes out to wind farms in, you know, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Where's my favorite? North, North Dakota. Dakota. My, you know, the, you know, where, where's Maryland ratepayers are subsidizing wind farms in North Dakota. So, that's where my difficulty is. So, you know. Sure, let's get the jobs. You know, if, if we want to create jobs from this, I'm all for solar jobs on residential houses, um, rooftop commercial units. There's not a whole lot of jobs that come out of a utility-scale solar project that takes up 2,000 acres of farmland in Queen Anne's County. So that's where we kind of go back and forth on what the jobs are really created. Let me tell you, when two year, I guess it was last year when, when we had the tariffs, the, the, the Trump tariffs ago, one of the first groups that came out and complained about the Trump tariffs was the solar industry. Because guess what? They're getting all their solar panels from China. So we're not building and manufacturing solar panels in Baltimore like we talked about four or five years ago. You know, that, that hasn't happened. So, yes, we have installation. That's certainly going to happen in Maryland if we're talking about residential and commercial. But anything else that's going on, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're not using our subsidies wisely. Offshore wind's got its own set of issues that, that needs to get tackled. Yeah, that might be a big industry at some point in time, but it's not going to occur in, in Maryland. You know, we might bring something into the port of Baltimore, you know, turn it around, ship it back out, but the turbines are going to be manufactured over, over in Europe. The, the, the blades are going to be manufactured over in Europe. We're going to get the steel that's probably going to get done somewhere in Louisiana or where they do offshore rigs, you know, as an industry up there. That industry is not all of a sudden going to come up to Baltimore just because we pass an offshore wind policy. If you're just tuning in now, I am sitting at Harry Brown's on the second floor. Is with, that right? Yes, with Senator Brian <laughs> Feldman. <laughs> yeah, we, we could go back and forth. Well, yeah, that's it. That's right. Well, so I'm sitting here with Brian Feldman and Senator uh, Steve Hershey of the Senate Finance Committee, and we're, we're bouncing around on issues. Senator Feldman, um, what's what's on what is on tap this year for the Senate Finance Committee? What are some of the big bills that you will be exploring throughout this session? And can we expect them to make it to the floor and perhaps to the governor's desk? Well, I fully expect Feldman Hershey bills to get to the uh, floor. Now, I would, I would say hope so. We're going to have more energy stuff. I mentioned the governor. We're going to have more bills related to the Clean Energy Jobs Act. I would say one of the big issues, I um, chair a com- something called the Health 
Insurance Coverage Protection Commission with Delegate Pena Melnick, and we met during the year to figure out what are we going to do if the Affordable Care Act is deemed unconstitutional, which is a very significant issue. It could happen. Very much. Well, we have a court that has said it is, and it's in limbo. So, uh, among other things, I'm going to have a bill for, out of this commission. And by the way, I taught for the first time a course on health care policy at University of Maryland College Park, which was really, I learned myself this fall teaching this master's class a lot about health care. But we're going to have a bill that it codifies in Maryland law a lot of the protections in the Affordable Care Act, so that if it goes, uh, it's unconstitutional, you'll still have protections for pre-existing conditions. You'll still in Maryland be able to keep your kids on uh, the roll, your insurance till they're 26 and a whole range of other things. Pretty significant. I mean, we've really been a leader in healthcare the last few years, very collaboratively, I would say, with the governor. Uh, you know, we have, again, on the individual market, if you don't get your insurance from your employer, we actually saw reductions in health insurance premiums for two straight years because we created, just within the last year or two, the largest state reinsurance pool in the United States of America. Very collaborative. Governor Hogan signed the bill. He was a partner. And so we're, I think, leading, and this is, we've got some new stuff, uh, something called the Easy Enrollment Program, where if you don't have health insurance, you'll check a box and you'll be able to uh, well, you know, get health. Last you know. year we took the, the bill that you had that was a mandate, right? and we ended up making that optional. That Correct. You could go and find it. I think one of the things, Ryan, that we've definitely learned is we, we the state wants as many people as possible to be insured. I mean, that, that, is, that ends up being a good thing for a healthier population and less long-term health care issues. And, and less people going to an emergency room. Of course. So, so when you're looking at the type of health insurance system that we have, which is different than anybody anywhere else in the country, you want to make sure that you have healthy people. One way is to make sure that they're insured. The second way is to make sure that they get primary care physicians so that they're going for preventative issues and not just episodic issues. And that's one of the things that, because again, when somebody goes into the emergency room, that's the most expensive health care treatments that there are and, and, and services that there are. So Yeah, and I, I'm going to give governor, the governor and Steve credit. I brought in a bill that looked like Romney Care, right, that had a mandate originally last oh, January. The Republicans hated that. They did, not li- they did not like that, with the exception of maybe one or two. So we work to sort of pull that back, take out the mandate, and we end up with this. By the way, a former Hall of Famer, Eddie Murray, yeah, easy. Yeah. he's going to be promoting it's something called the Easy Enrollment Program. Can I just describe it quickly? Please. Eddie Murray's going to be the point guy to promote is this he, thing. Is he going to come to Annapolis? Yeah, he's going to be doing press conferences, the whole thing. Famous Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely. Yeah. He's going to be our guy. So when you, on the 2000, your 2019 state tax return, You'll have a box available, and it's you're going to check it and say, I don't have health insurance, and I want my financial information to go to our health exchange. And we think there's about 50,000 Marylanders who have no health insurance. they eligible for Medicaid. Wow. They don't even know they're eligible. And we have another 70,000 Marylanders who are eligible for tax credits from the federal government that would pay 100% for their insurance, they don't even know they're eligible. And another 100,000 people that that uh, federal tax premium uh, credits would cover most of it. So we have about 400,000 uninsured Marylanders right now. But we can knock out 200,000 people just by this little check. It's called the the easy enrollment. Check a box. So the easy enrollment would then, if they check the box, does that mean... It's not forcing. You don't have to. It's opt-in. So if you don't want to do it, fine. If they check the box, does that mean then they'll be contacted by the agency, right? Correct, by the Health Benefit Exchange. And so we are the first state in the United States to try this. So such a simple idea. We kind of stumbled on it, to be honest with you, when we started with the mandate and we, we rolled in it. Now there's a bunch of states all over the place that are 
we're, we're like in the national journals. Everybody's looking at this Maryland project to see if it really works out the way I just described. Right. So me, it's uh, pretty uh, exciting. Uh, yeah, please. I'd like, like to add on that, Brian, as Brian mentioned before, we serve on an energy supply task force with NCSL. I also uh, am an advisory board member for a group called GOPAC, which is focused on Republican legislators. But each year we will go into uh, one of our conferences and we'll talk about legislation that we've pushed forward that have come out of, uh, you know, our committees that we were involved in. And I brought this up at a Republican conference. And as you said, a number of legislators, a number of people from around the country says, I want to hear more about that. Because they recognize what we want to be able to do as best we can is get people insured. And so, uh, as you said, a number of people heard that. They came up. I sent them the bill, sent them some ideas that we did and, you know, how we got to it. And we're seeing this in more and more states uh, across the country. That's great. That's a, man, you, you talk about bipartisan, a piece of important public policy that just a, a simple tweak like that, 200,000 more Marylanders will be insured and they will have someone from an agency contact them and hopefully walk them through the process and get them the health coverage that they need. Yeah, back on, uh, you were talking about some other big issues. I said the governor's got the ability. But within that healthcare space, we, you know, we had, we made some history last year with the, on the drug pricing, pharmaceutical drug. We're going to have some stuff there. Vaping, you know, the, all the debates about e-cigarettes, that's all going to be in our company. Medical marijuana. Uh, Let's which talk I might, about that. Well, that's now going to be back in the finance committee. So, so after right? one, yeah, after one year, I, I just, I'm giving you the news, Mr. Uh, colleague You've been here. Breaking some news. Correct. So yeah, right. after one year, we had this uh, two years ago. It was in the finance committee, and then last year, all the issues went to the JPR committee. Yeah. Now most of those issues are going to come back to the finance committee. Mm. And then we're, you That's know, we're, and we have a debate, you know, I was on the work group dealing with, uh, um, you know, the uh, adult use issues. So over the next year or two, we're going to continue to have these battles about medical marijuana and licensing and diverse and lawsuits. But that'll all be in the finance committee. So we, you know, we got a lot of, again, a lot of stuff, a lot of different kinds of issues on a, a more diverse, I think, portfolio than any uh, committee in the entire General Assembly. It sounds like it. And Senators... Following the medical cannabis debate, I think that it's a issue on the top of everyone's mind. I think that Maryland is now, I think there's, what, 38 30, states? 33. 33 medical, states. Medical marijuana. Yeah. And the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission is responsible for overseeing this process. And I read a report a few days ago that medical cannabis in Maryland in 2019 was somewhere, what, near $4 million? No, ten, actually or, generated $10 million ten, in reven, tax revenue. Okay, maybe I read something different. but Or, you know, I was thinking the state of Illinois, the first day of legal recreational marijuana, oh. they raised somewhere of like $3.8 million. And well, I mean, that, that's a debate. That's we're not, not going to move a, a adult use bill this year. Is that what it's called? Well, that seems to be the term that, uh, you know, the advocates... Adult uh, use. Adult use, not recreational, but not legal. Just know. for the record, there is yeah. no medic, There's no recreational marijuana coming within the next year. Not in 2020. Okay. Yeah. In, and is the medical cannabis side... Wait, I should qualify. There may be bills in, but the work group that we were served on did not recommend that we do it this year. We're probably in 2021, maybe a different ball. I don't anticipate that. Is Maryland reacting well to medical cannabis? What are the, what are some of the the tricky issues that we're still sorting out within this, the cannabis commission? I mean, Senator Hershey, I'll do you want to take that? Let Steve talk a little. 
I'll be honest, I think the biggest issue that we ran into that we've seen over the last few years since we first passed it was the issuance of licenses, you know, who was able to get grower licenses, who was able to get processing licenses. Because you can't have both, right? Well, you, you can now. At first, we were not vertically integrated. Now we've decided that we think a vertically integrated program works right. well as well, you know, too. So there were some questions on, you know, who got licenses, who didn't get licenses, and that was that was one of the bigger issues that went out for a while. But I think, I think we've kind of passed that, um, and now we're really into the operations part of it. You know, we're seeing product that's in the dispensaries now we're, we're hearing some of the stories about um people you know get you know being affected and, and getting better from it i think one of the things you know another feldman hershey bill that we're looking at right now de- deals with uh, cbd yeah and um a big uh, the, the, for the kids the, the care the caregivers bill and one of the things that we had talked about in fact i had a uh, a young student come into my office which is why i ended up calling brian when i when i heard about this bill and uh, he was having um, issues and seizures and things of that nature. And CBD, the application of CBD, or administration of CBD, was getting him through <clears throat> the first part of the day where he could function and be in his class and interact with everybody else and was doing great. And then I guess it wore off after a period of time and they would get to lunchtime and the nurses at the school, nobody was able to administer that for him. And you know, the mom was saying you could kind of see the deterioration of him and the way that he was able to interact mm-hmm. was starting to get worse to the point where she was then having to come and, and bring the you know get the kid to come out of the school and not and the kid wasn't able to stay the other day. She goes, if I was able to administer, or if somebody better yet somebody at the school could administer, now you know my son could be in school for the entire day. So that got brought up, and and uh, by the time I heard about it, I had called Senator Feldman and he- heard that. He was looking at a piece of legislation. You might want to see what it was, but it's something that, you know, just as you see an industry and what's happening and the different, um, you know, medical products that are coming out of that, how they are affecting, you know, everyday lives. And then, you know, we have to then end up tweaking some of the other, you know, policies that we have to make sure people can continue to benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, this can, this is a very, um, can I, hold on one yeah, second. Sure. It, what was the name of the legislation that you were referring to with CBD and the caregivers? Is there a specific name? Well, there, there, I think one of the House members looking at, I think it was calling it Connor's uh, Law, named, I think Connor uh, maybe one of the... Uh, Connor's Connor Sheffield? Con- well, from, is that? Is it from Harford. Well, so can I t- I'll tell you about the bill. I, we do have the bill, whatever you want to call it. It could be, um, I think that one of the House members wants to name it after one of the kids. Okay. Um, but basically, right now, a caregiver for uh, purposes of a minor has to be a legal guardian or parent, nobody else. And so we're going to have, you know, our bill is going to change that to allow a school nurse uh, to administer. So this to me Just CBD though. Yes, I think that's how we're going to keep it very narrow and, you know, try to keep it simple. But even there, you know, this whole topic of medical marijuana, it's complicated because, you know, it's still illegal under federal law. So you're going to, we may have some pushback from nursing organizations saying, you know, if, if you do this, are we putting at risk our licenses? Are we violating federal law? You know, so there's nothing simple in this space. I just want to make that point. Even this seems so reasonable and bipartisan and all that. Um, nothing, I think, that I've experienced. I was the co- chair of the conference committee two years ago that dealt with a, a new set of licensing to deal with the diversity issues and the lawsuit. So I'm 
pretty well versed from my experience two years ago that nothing in this space or a lot of uh, moving parts, but you know, banking issues, all the things that you can't do under federal. But this bill, I think, I, I really anticipate that it'll pass. We've got again strong support already. Um, but again, I you know we, we have to decide about the, the name. I think again the House member has maybe drafted something with. Um, you know, with the name of one of the kids, but uh, irrespective. So you would change the definition of caregiver. It's the only place where we define caregiver or limit it in the case of minors. And so if we make that adjustment. Yeah, that's obviously a big issue because if that can help a a student and can can help out someone in in school, then a school nurse should ostensibly be willing and able to to help this child. And, and you talked about vaping, and I know that Comptroller Francho, who regulates alcohol and tobacco, um, well, until you guys take more of his powers away, um, so, um, it, what's going to happen with vaping? And, and look, I just need to mention this, Senator Feldman. You see, you're getting really excited I, here. I, 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 I do. i, I got to mention this. Your Democratic nominee from last year's out there is hawking for, uh, for Jewel. What's with that, man? You know, I got, I got no call. You're going to have to have uh, him come in here and, and respond to that. You, I'm, it's you not, gotta, I'm, not, I'm not the, you know. You got a better chance of seeing God than, <laughs> than, than that happening. But, but look, vaping, obviously, we've seen these reports on vitamin E, this, this chemical that is causing people to literally die from vaping. And it's happened, there's been, what, about 15 cases of this. And it's a concern in the state of Maryland as well. But this is happening un, on an unregulated, like a black market almost, Senator Feldman. So here we are. What can we do to entice companies and stores and whatnot to stop selling vaping products to teenagers? And is it banning the flavored stuff? Or like Montgomery County has a local bill in, right? Yeah. They, Gabe Albernaz, one of the county councilmen, they're going to eliminate vaping shops what within a half a mile. Yeah, well, they're using the zoning, you know, ordinances and to they restrict. Can. Of you know, course, they, they can. can do that. Look, we're, I, I know for a fact we're going to have multiple bills, everything from straight out full bans to you know limited bans to, and you know, there's an interplay with the federal government, right? The Trump administration initially, like the first week, President Trump was like, we got to get rid of all that. Then like, a few weeks later. You know, maybe not so much. And, and so I think that one of the challenges is, I'm not saying hysteria, but we still have to know some of the science here. You know, when you talk about a product, um, you know, we just have to make sure that whatever we're doing is backed up by some good science. And it's not just a rush to sort of, because I, I will say, and I've already heard from several of them, this actually industry is maybe, I think, the, uh, the, I think the largest number, I think I saw some statistic in the Washington Post about in terms of almost all are small businesses, not Jewel. Right. They're the little guys. Um, and, you know, got thousands of them all over the United States, including Maryland. And, you know, you just put them all out of business right. before you know for sure, you know, that science backs up. And, and so I think we need to, to be vigilant. We, got, we, we have an obligation to the, to the public, for minors. But... Um, you know, when you have like a report of deaths and then like the first day after, you know, the Trump administration is saying we're going to have a ban an entire product line before, I don't know, the scientists have sort of weighed in. And so I think we just, I, I, I but we're going to have some bills that just say ban. And then we're going to have bills that say we acknowledge it's a problem 
and it'll be a band, but maybe with a few exceptions. I mean, I, well, I don't we, know. You know. It's interesting. Well, well, wait a minute. Let me just say, there's certainly another interesting dichotomy to all this. You know, we start talking about banning things, but don't forget, you know, the, a lot of people on one side of the aisle are doing anything they can possibly can, can do to find additional funding. So when you start taking away cigarettes and maybe cigars and all these other types of things, which is, you know, all packed into a very, again, omnibus bill that's over in the House of Delegates right now, you've got to find additional revenue to make up for everything that they're starting to ban. So um, we're hearing, you know, conversations about an increase in the cigarette tax. You know, say, so the state likes it for these certain, you know, they don't like it for the health concerns, but they like it for the revenue. And, you know, that's something I think we need to play with a little bit as well, too, and say, you know, is that what we really want to do? Do we, do we want to continue to tax this as, at a rate that less people will maybe will smoke? I mean, there's, there's one thing. There's, you know, we've always made decisions down here to, to, you know, change behavior by making things more expensive. But that's one of the issues that, that are going back. You know, we haven't really touched on Kerwin yet because it's not necessarily in our committee. No, but but I'm telling you, I mean, Kerwin is about money right now yeah. and about trying to find but, it. And, yeah. and you know, I was just going to say that in a lot of the states that have moved on this issue, they haven't done it through the legislature. They've done it through their health department. Or I mean, it doesn't have to be a bill. If this is a threat to the public, you know, we have federal uh, regulators and, and, and such, and states have the ability... Uh, through their regulators and health departments to restrict our, you know, and so, um, but I, I suspect we're going to move some legislation. There's, a, I think, an expectation that we're going to do that, uh, but I just can't tell you for sure exactly what will be in the, all the various sundry bills that we see. Uh, I want to ask you both about an issue that I think the, the actually the Democratic Party has raised. Have you both, there's been a report out that the governor is using, I they're they're calling the governor corrupt for using or channeling funds to his business through transportation. Have you seen this? Have you, yeah. Have you been paying? Oh, oh, wait, have you wait? Say uh, funneling funds through, to what now? I'm sorry. <clears throat> so well, there, there there's there's been a report out that the governor they're that they're insinuating that he is corruptly channeling money to his personal company oh, right. okay. or in some facet. And that he's getting he's getting kickbacks off of these these tra- Senator Hershey. What do you think? Have you read the re- <clears throat> the report? I've I've read the newspaper articles that one were um, out last year at some point in time, and somehow they've got regurgitated by somebody else and right. brought it up. And also, they, they weren't necessarily sourced well. No, they they it, weren't. I just and, want to point and that out. I happened to be at a uh, a conference with the governor. Um, Last week, right after, uh, right before session got started, and he was asked that question, and he said, "I've made everything possible available. That this is absolutely not true. None of it's accurate. Put it in a trust. I yeah. mean, the blind." He said, "He said everything. It's, you know, there, there's nothing to the story. The governor has been in the fact of saying, I'm willing to put everything out there for you to take a look at. It's simply not happening. So." You know, I think it was, you know, that's one of the things that we have to deal with, all of us right now, with the way social media is right now and the way people can come up and, and throw a story about about whatever they want without it being fact-checked, without it, you know, and, and having any kind of responsibility to the truth. And, you know, this was a story that came out in the Baltimore Sun, of, uh, again, last year sometime, and they came back and they, in that story, said that they, they didn't see anything. But somebody else picked it up and said that, you know, they want to push it a little they, bit further. They wrote an op-ed, I think, in... <clears throat> Uh, the Baltimore Sun that or is either the Sun or the Post that said that his 
uh, I guess, quote unquote, his issues are not the same as the president's. And but I just wanted your perspective on that. Uh, Hershey, have you seen how much money this guy's raised in his campaign finance report? I just finished mine before I came out. With okay. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, a lot. You, you, you can. You got technology. Yeah, you can yeah. get on the internet. Yeah. Two hundred forty-two k. He's got some money, man. It'd be nice to be a vice chairman, wouldn't it? Would it? It, it would. Yeah, you know. uh, well, there's no. that, and you know, <clears throat> Felbin's name is being mentioned as a possible comptroller uh, coming up in 2022. And you know, the more that I think about it, look, he's a federal tax attorney, sits on the Senate Finance Committee, has been a longtime legislator. I mean, it would be a, it'd be a lateral move. I mean, it'd be a, you're moving on up, man, if that's the case. And, I mean, I know that you're not quite as dynamic as Jim Rosa Pep, but, um, you know, I, I just want you to know that you're, you're certainly, uh, now you're in the conversation. Or maybe because I well, tweeted it out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I mean, look, I, I will, I, 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 the only thing I will comment on this is that, <laughs> you know, my background, many people may, may not know, but, yeah, I was a Department of Justice Tax Division lawyer. And I, you know, I'm the only tax lawyer, CPA, state legislator in the country, I'm told. So, you know, that combo. So, you know, I feel like if I were to consider doing it, my credentials are there. But I, I'm nowhere near making that final call. Um, are you thinking I'll, about it? I'm thinking about it. You're thinking, thinking about, about it? it? Okay. Well, fair mm-hmm. enough. We might break I mean, some news I'm, tonight. I mean, I'm hoping, you know, that I can get the support of uh, some support on the Eastern Shore, on the Republican <laughs> side. And, yeah. you know, that might be a factor. Because yeah. yeah, it can't sure. just all be about Montgomery County and, you know, a bunch of Democrats. I got to, you know, I got to play well down there. And, and statewide and can, support. Yes, he absolutely. Says, right, that's right. So you know where to go to get, absolutely. To, to get your support on the shore. And, look, you're in a prominent position. And I have to mention this. I was thinking about this on the way down. Senator Feldman, Montgomery County, and look, I feel like as a resident of Montgomery County, we kind of got screwed in the uh, the Senate committees uh, when they were re uh, reorganizing. I mean, we came out and Nancy Nancy King's no longer the the chairman of uh, B and T, and well, no, wait a second, let me no, let me I'll I'll push back a little bit. Yeah. All right, we have four vice chairs in the Senate Finance Camp com- Committee. Three of the four vice chairs on the in, the in the Senate are now from one county, Montgomery County. We have a new chair of JPR and Will Smith. So I think you got to look at the big picture. Bill Ferguson grew up in Montgomery County. You know, he went to Gonzaga High School. Did you know that? I did. He's a, I Montgomery, he's a Montgomery County boy. Didn't um, O'Malley go to? He did. Yeah. In the same high school. Yeah. Well, their um, personalities are worlds apart, but nonetheless. Um, and Bill Ferguson's not down in. Uh, and in in Washington D.C. at the Dubliner, uh, you know, raising problems with uh, and, and Bill Ferguson's mom and dad still live in Montgomery County. Yeah, I knew that. How is Bill Ferguson doing? I look, it's been he's I'll, been I'll let Steve start with one that. week, one week. But how? I, I'm always interested to see how that actually came about. How the how that process unwinded? Where, if you asked me last year at this time, Senator Guy Gazone would have been the the guy. Uh, you know, no pun intended. He would have been the person to replace Miller, and then they sort of wrangled, and you had Paul Pensky put his name in, and then Nancy King, um, and it ended up that uh, oh, and Doug Peters. Um, it, it, it ended up Bill Ferguson came out as the winner of this. Thirty-six-year-old Bill Ferguson, former Teach for America, uh, Uni- University of Maryland graduate from law school. That process interests me greatly. How did that happen? 
And I'm not saying that as pejoratively. <laughs> I certainly can't answer that. Well, question, right, because but, you're not. <laughs> right, but now let me. Let, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of. I, I, I'm sure a lot of things that happened that I'm sure Brian would rather not talk about because. Oh, you know, what fun well, is that? No, but there are things that happen within the caucus and that are, are, are meant to stay in the caucus. And, and, you know, if he wants to talk about it, he certainly can. But let me say, I, I think, um, you know, President Ferguson has, has done an excellent job so far. You know, certainly one of the things that we ask as the Republican caucus is to be included. You know, we ask for inclusiveness. We ask to make sure that we are part of the solution as we deal with policies. And, and certainly as we are, you know, in Senate finance, that happens a lot, you know. Prior to the, the chair that we have right now, Senator uh, Mac Middleton was the chair for many years, and he was a big consensus builder. You know, so when we had policy that came across, or we had bills that came across, and there were two competing sides, Mac put together the famous work groups. You know, and those work groups were designed to get, you know, competing sides together and to build compromise. And we've seen that a lot under uh, Chairwoman Kelly and Brian's uh, leadership as well, too that that's kind of how our committee, uh, uh, you know, operates. You know, we want to make sure that that happens on the broader scale as well, too. You know, where Senate President Miller had given us a, a lot of, you know, a, a long rope, as some would say, you know, to, to go out on the Senate floor and debate some of the issues. And I said, you know, Brian and I debated the Clean Energy Job Act on, on Sine Die, you know, for a long period of time. So, you know, inclusiveness is important to us. Senate uh, President Ferguson um, has has committed to that and promised our caucus that. Um, you know, again, I'll give him a lot of credit. He made a number of trips um, into other uh, delegate, you know, districts uh, before the session got started. He came yours, over, yours particularly. He came over and uh, he met with a commercial waterman, came out to our commercial water dock right here in, uh, in, in the Kenton Arrows, and then we went up to Chester County Hospital. And you know, to get him out into the districts for him to make that commitment, I mean, I really think that shows a lot. And, and uh, you know, he is, you know, as we keep saying, you know, you're no longer the senator from Baltimore City. You're the Senate president of Maryland, you know, and you have to, you know, continue to lead this caucus or, you know, our, our Senate chamber as, you know, what's good for all of Maryland. And, and I and I really think that he's going to continue to do that. And, you know, they're, I'm sure he's going to get pushed from his caucus on some issues that they want to get out. But I think, you know, we'll probably see, a, a you know, from what I'm hearing, a less is more type of thing. You know, let's focus on some big bills that the state needs to do. And, you know, at the end of this 90-day session, talk about, you know, the big things that we accomplished. And, you know, all this other stuff that hasn't gotten through or has tried for many years to get through that still didn't get through. You can talk about that at a later time, but I, I think we're going to see him, him, you know, hopefully preside from a more moderate position. Yeah, well, of course, Senate President Miller Emeritus, he his longstanding reputation has been that he's governed from the center, and he's had to wrangle a caucus that at times was unruly or had wanted to push him to the left, but he maintained, I think, but he also maintained several positions out of a moral position for the reasons for passing pieces of legislation and I always respected him for that so I am I am certainly excited to see how the chamber um, will react and right. uh, one thing let me just say I think that uh, the new Senate president is mindful of this sense that the Senate's going to shift way to the left and so you saw this past week he and you know in the Washington Post and other places stated that we are not in this session going to have broad-based 
tax increases. There's no appetite for it. He understands that, um, you know, and I think it's a reflective of that. The other thing is, look, he is, um, you know, Mil Mike Miller was an iconic figure, historic figure, and coming after somebody like that is very, very tricky. And I think, uh, I think Senator Ferguson understands that. Um, but they're gonna, they're different. They really are different personalities, and I think you can expect that the place, the way op, the place, the place is gonna operate differently. There's maybe a, a little less centralized, you know, that uh, things really revolved around the Senate president. Maybe power is a little more disparate through the committees. I think, you know, it's just, I think, or naturally, we're gonna have to see how that uh, process unfolds. But uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, Mike Miller and Bill Ferguson are different people, different personalities. Yeah. And, uh, but I think more interesting, to some extent, if you're talking about the operation of the Senate, you know, Mike Miller had long-standing relationships, deep relationships, former chiefs of staff, you mentioned some who are, you know, senators who are longtime lobbyists here. I would say that, uh, you know, Bill Ferguson's relationships are somewhat different when you talk about whether it's industries or individual lo and so the place will operate. If you're a legislator or a lobbyist, you're going to have to revamp a little bit the playbook. The playbook that has existed for 33 years may not work uh, this year moving forward. And that, you know, is a reality check, uh, certainly in the Senate. I did make the same case in the House, I think, with, with Speaker Jones uh, versus Speaker Bush. So, you know, I think the place uh, will operate differently on, on multiple levels. Yeah. yeah let me, Steve? Uh, just, to, you know, you talked about the iconic status of Senate President Miller. Just a quick funny story. Uh, Monday evening, um, they changed two of the portraits that were in the back of the Senate chamber. One to Vera Welcome, who was the first African-American uh, female senator in, in the history of Maryland. And, of course, one was for the Senate President, Mike Miller. So... On Monday evening, we go through this whole ceremony of, of, of bringing down the, the curtain and showing the, the uh, portrait, and Mike made this great speech. And, you know, was, in fact, Senator Ferguson had uh, found something in Senate President Miller's desk that he read from 1995 that was just so fitting, you know, about the work that we all do together. And, and this was Mike Miller's call to action back in 1995. But we have all this ceremony, his whole family is there, and, and then we go a little bit later once we were done with that, and we had a, a third reader session of, of, I think, about three or four bills that, you know, we had passed earlier, you know, last week, and they came up for third reader vote, and again, no controversy at all, the votes get up, and on the, on the second bill, Senate President voted red. And first of all, it's probably the first time, Senate President Miller, probably the first time ever that he voted red and didn't have at least you know, 23 other people follow him on this vote. But the vote was called and it, you know, the bill passed 45 to one or something like that. And it's sort of, you know, getting around that Senate President had, Miller had kind of cast this red vote. And so he had to, as we got finished with our session, had to stand up and do the, the, the job that only very few new people have to do is say, Mr. President, I'd like to change my vote. So it went from this iconic, you know, portrait unveiling to, to him, you know, changing his vote. But again, That's just good. showed how much of a, a real person that he is as well, too. And, and his, you know, his, his kind of laughing about it and doing it. But it just it, it brought everything back down to earth. I, I will say when he was speaking the other night, I was fantasizing a little bit about the first time when he gets up to, to be the floor leader on a bill. And then who's going to have... 
The so-called kahunas to get up there and try to take that bill down and press them on the floor of the Senate. I'm looking forward to the possibility of doing that. That would be one uh, for the books, I think. But, yeah, he's down on the floor as a rank-and-file senator from the 27th District. And, he, you know, he's fair game, you know. He can be, uh, you, know, you know, questioned uh, pretty aggressively on any yeah. bills that he brings to the floor. Well, so for, for anybody who's listening... Um, Senator Feldman and I have a, a a Pittsburgh connection. You were bo- you were born and raised in Pittsburgh. Very, yes, and yeah. I know that you went to school there at I Duquesne. Did. And yes, I um, I I a born and raised Pittsburgh boy in the city. Yeah, and what uh, part? Squirrel Hill. Squirrel Hill, Greenfield area. Yeah, and um, Great I, went, area. I went away to college, and then I came home and went to Pitt Law School, and then I moved to D.C. So no, I know Duquesne very very well. So du- and, Duquesne uh, is of course my alma mater. Very proud of that. And uh, as, as Steelers fans, you know, we, we, we held our breath for most of the season. Of course, our quarterback was out. And the night that I was thinking— but Can I just say, because you're kind of a Western Maryland guy, yes. one of the things I love about going up there, boy, it's the only part of our state that gets Pittsburgh television. That's right. And we got a lot well, of not Pittsburgh— Hagerstown. Hagerstown. I say Cumberland. Where's that point at which Pittsburgh TV and KDK TV? Yeah. I went up to the Wisp for uh, one of the healthcare conferences, and it was like being at home. I turned on the television. It was KDK TV in Pittsburgh. I mean, it was I, unbelievable. It was fantastic. I, I'd have to ask uh, some folks up at Cumberland, but yeah, Wisp has KDKA because yeah. I I interned at KDKA News <laughs> when I was in college. Uh, and Senator Hershey, I know that you're a Ravens fan. I know that it was a tough loss the other night. My gosh, I watched that game and I was disappointed. Ask him how many Super Bowls he's been to. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know about that? yeah. yeah. Well, not not this one coming up though. Not this one. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. And I, but the Ravens were in it. You, you kind of like I rooted for the Nat. I'm a Red Sox fan, and I wanted to. I rooted for the Nationals. That was a great moment in in baseball history. Uh, and I was disappointed the Ravens lost, but man, they got a great team. They had just a great it, it team. It was a this tough year. loss. I, you know, I, I did go up to the game, and and the the atmosphere, the energy of the crowd. Did you go with the governor? No, I oh. did not. Um, but the, the atmosphere and the energy was just it was it was so incredible. But as soon as you know the the Titans scored that first first touchdown, you can just almost see it deflated. And then, you know, we we uh, went for it on fourth down. They turned around and 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 threw the threw the touchdown. And it, you know, it it just fourteen to nothing. And it was like you took the whole wind out of everybody. And um, you know, I mean, people were talking about next week. You know, this this Sunday coming up, the championship game. And you know, so it was disappointing. You know, it it, it was a lot, lot of fun for. You know, not just the city of Baltimore, for all of us, you know, the House of Delegates, when we were back there, they're wearing jerseys, you know, on Friday, Purple Friday, and everybody was just really kind of getting like excited that. because they they had that week off. Well, I, I, can but, I just, Ryan, on the Steeler please. Raven thing, I just wanted two, two things. Number one, um, I happened to be with Cor- Senator Corey McRae from Baltimore City this summer up in uh, Heinz Field. We went to a conference, and the opening ceremony was at Heinz Field. And they found out I was a Pittsburgh boy. And they put my name up on the scoreboard at Heinz Field. When we're done with the show, I'll show you my, my, my name up on the scoreboard at Heinz Field. That. But I said, I'm not going to do that. I want this guy from – I want to see if he's got the guts to yeah. post this on Facebook. <laughs> so they put my name up there, and then they put Corey McRae. And nice. Corey was proud, and he, you know, he took ownership. But one other thing, first worst political move I've ever made in my career. Years ago, I was in the House of Delegates, and Mike Bush, Speaker Bush, who was a big football guy, Big football guy, you know, played college at Temple, uh, could have gone to the NFL, blew out his knee. 
But he asked me if I had any extra terrible towels at home, and he wanted me to come in and bring him a terrible towel. And the Steelers were playing the Ravens in the playoffs that year, and I was in the House of Delegates, and I brought this terrible towel in the House of Delegates, and all these guys from the Baltimore City delegation took my picture with this terrible towel. Oh, man. And I'll, I won't – the guy – this particular uh, delegate from Baltimore City is still in the chamber, and he said – he goes, buddy – he goes, if you ever were to run for statewide office, <laughs> I got the I out. got the goods on you. I'm going to kill you. I get blackmail. He goes, you are you will be dead. You know, so that picture's I, I just, coming out. Uh, yeah, that's a yeah. good one. I'm and gonna... he has that picture. Yeah. Oh, he well, has that picture. I probably shouldn't have said all this, but no, nah, well, that's all right. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. Senator Hershey and Senator Feldman, it was a blast having you guys again. <clears throat> and you were my uh, the 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 first interview that we did last year. Um, as we kick this thing off, it's it's fun. I'm I'm enjoying my time down here in Annapolis, and of course I'm learning a lot. And we like to mix it up. This is uh, it's it's educational, and I promise you, not only people are watching, but they do listen. Is anybody so, actually? How do I know that anybody's even oh, they're, watching? Oh, they're watching. This? Okay, so, yeah, they're they're watching. Uh, okay, you got a lot of you got viewers. Okay. Um, you guys are famous down here. I mean, you guys <laughs> are rock stars. So uh, we got two people here. Um, so yeah, I can't. I, the person that's sitting to my left would make fun of me in a heartbeat for my choice of Italian food uh, restaurants in Little Italy. Of course, it's John Fiastro, who is, lit, every time I, I talk about Sabatino's, he basically disowns me as a friend. I know, it breaks his heart. So he, he and his lovely wife have promised to take me to an actual, de- yeah, they're, they're, we're going to, my wife and I will go. So, gentlemen, thank you. I wish you uh, the best of luck through the next, uh, what, 80 days? 80 Thereabouts. Okay. Well, Sine yeah. Die is what the tenth, ninth, eighth. Okay. Yeah, it's always so, around that. Yeah. But thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. Great this was fun. All right. Absolutely. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Okay. Are you interested in sponsoring an episode of a Minor Detail podcast? Email me at Ryan at a Minor Detail dot com. Be sure to subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Castbox, or wherever you download your podcast. Visit a minordetailpodcast.com for the latest episodes. And for Maryland news and politics, visit a minordetail.com and be sure to subscribe to my daily newsletter. I'm Ryan Miner. See you next time.